Here's the thing about being in a church. We can fake it, right? We can fake the whole thing. If you want to, you can fake the Christian thing, you can fake the God thing, you can fake the church thing, you can fake the I'm doing okay thing, and many of you have already this morning. How you doing? I'm doing okay. No, you're not. No, you're not. I, now, some of, if you've been around here long enough, we don't, we don't do that a lot around here. You go ask Denny how he's feeling right now, you better pack a lunch, because he will tell you how he's feeling, and it's not good. And Hey, morning. Um, but, but what we want is real life, and what I'm going to talk about today is real life. Um, I'm going to say some things today you've probably never heard me say. I, one of the things about being a preacher is I feel like the best sermons come from the things that I'm dealing with. Um, and, and God kind of lays them on my heart before I get here, and that has happened to me. So I'm excited about that today um, as we kind of finish up this series that we've been working through. But I don't want you to miss this, and it would be really easy for you to. Um, some of you are mad at something. Um, some of you are frustrated. There's a fine line between those two. Some of you are just crazy busy. Some of you are so tired you're going to have a hard time staying awake during this sermon. <laughs> and what, what I want to do right now is give you an opportunity to get some energy. Mental energy, some spiritual energy, maybe even some physical energy, um, and take a deep breath this morning before we get started. So I'm going to give a moment of quiet. Um, if you're listening online and you're driving, don't close your eyes, but be quiet. Um, if you're here in the room, it's a good time for you to just get right. Whatever you brought in. Whatever you think of me, whatever you think of God, whatever you think of the whole thing, no matter what, this is a time for you to get quiet so that you can listen um, and get some perspective on your life. So let's take just 30 seconds and then I'll close with some prayer and we'll jump right into this thing today. God, right now we need perspective on our life. And some of us in this room have so many crazy things going on or we're so in a moment of anger or doubt or whatever that we can't even get right with this moment. So we're just going to ask you, anybody in the room who isn't still not quiet, just praying that you would give us a, just a new sense of peace right here, right now, that it would be supernatural even. Even those who whose hearts just can't get quiet this morning. Would you do something supernatural and soften us? God, as we listen this morning, would you be honored by the way we choose to do our life, not the way we pretend or the way that we do religious things or ceremonial things, but the way that we do life. We pray that you'd be honored by it and we'll listen. Amen. Well, as we finish up this series called Rewind, where we take, out, where we take a look at some stories that you may have heard before, I'm going to talk about a couple today. Um, and I, one of the things that I, I think I, I want to really hit hard on today, um, and I'm hoping that you can have your mind open a little bit because it, it happened to me, um, is just a, a, a central theme in these stories, and in Jesus' story in particular, and the way he interacts with people. And um, i, I got to tell you, as I've been preparing this sermon series, some of you I've been sending emails back and you're helping me with this, um, 
but I, I'm, I'm dealing with something right now as your preacher. Um, and if you're listening online, I'm your preacher too. Um, uh, we've got about 900 people that I'm preaching to every weekend that I've never met physically. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm excited about that too. And I, I feel like God has laid on my heart over the last couple months that I've been missing something with the way that I talk and the way that I preach. And today I'm not going to miss it. Um, it's something that I've been missing in my own personal life, and because I am such a, a, a personal preacher, it, it, it has translated into my preaching. And so I'm going to hit it today, and I'm going to hit it hard. If you're a leader in this church, um, and, and I don't mean just the elders, we've got a couple elders, but we have other people who are leading in, in other ways and are passionate about this church. Not, not, what I mean is not passionate about what happens on Sunday mornings or if the bills get paid, but passionate that this place does something big and great. You have been frustrated at some point in your leadership. Um, some, some leaders call it holy discontent. It's this moment where you just go, I don't know why, but that makes me mad when John talks about that and he doesn't talk about that. Or when the church talks, does this and they don't do that. And there is a little bit of holy discontent in that, like it needs to be better, and a little bit of like frustration that distracts. Whatever that is today, I think that one of the things that our church has missed over the past few years is one of the things I'm going to share today. And I want to do this publicly. I want to tell you publicly. I'm not, I'm not beating on myself publicly today, but what I want to do is have you hold me accountable to this because I have been missing something in my preaching and in my own life that I think many of you have been missing as well. And although I'm not responsible for your spiritual life, I do feel responsible for this 30 minutes of it on Sunday mornings, or 45, I know. Um, and so I, I've been praying about it, I've been working really hard on it today, and I need your attention, because I, I want you to hear it from my heart, I want you to hear um, what I think God wants us to do next as a church, and where I think he wants us to be as humans, and um, this has been very personal to me. So I'm pretty excited about it. And it all kind of starts from this whole, this whole thought about taking another look at the life of Jesus and another look at some of these stories with a fresh perspective. And I have found some common denominators that I had never really seen before until this sermon series, and it has led me to something I think is missing. And between that and the, the level of politics that's now starting to swell again in our community, because we've got an election coming up, and We've got whichever side of this you all fall on, everybody has a moment where they go, oh. And if you're a Christian, specifically, there is a different kind of pain. And that pain comes from all of the people who will leverage the word Christian in order to get another vote during this. And at both sides of the aisle, I'm not blaming anybody in particular, I'm saying that the word Christian is a problem in our community and in our culture. All over the world, the word Christian is. And here's part of the reason. And I'm hoping you see yourself in this. So, so pay attention today. This might be a little bit hard to follow, and I'm going to need your help connecting some dots. So check this first slide. Here, here's sort of the premise of this to begin with. You can be a Christian in our culture and in, in your world, even in these pews, and do just about anything you want. You can be anything you want. You can call yourself a Christian and live just about any life you want to live. And here's the reason. Because the Bible never really says what one is. The Bible never says, here's what a Christian is, and so if you want to be a Christian, you need to do this. In fact, the word Christian is a word that Christians didn't give themselves. It's a, phrase, it's a word that the people that were looking outside gave Christians. And they said it like this, Christian. In fact, they still do, many of them. And it's a derogatory word 
that it kind of literally means a, a, a faith person that follows this man named Jesus, but it's taken on a different connotation. And the problem with it is, and I don't want to poke too much at that today, but the problem with it is God, Jesus was very clear about what he wanted us to be, and it wasn't Christian. Did you know that? Jesus did not use the word Christian to describe you and me. In fact, he used a different word, and the word is disciple. And this is huge. This is huge. And, and this is part of what I've been missing in my preaching and in my teaching. A disciple is not the same thing as a Christian. Because a disciple is somebody who is getting better every day. It's somebody who has chosen a specific path in their life that God has put down. It's a, it's a person who has said, I want to follow the ways of a man named Jesus so closely that every day I become a different person. And, and, and I know this is a, a little bit of a distinction here, but you know the name Christian in our culture. And you know the celebrities that throw it around. You know the guy at work who throws it around. You know how you've thrown this word around. And the truth is, the word Christian can be anything, but Jesus is terrifyingly clear about what a disciple is. So if you're, if you're kicking the tires on Jesus and you're trying to decide what this is, this is a perfect thing for you to listen to today. Because somebody has messed up what Jesus is and what, what it is to follow Jesus in our culture. And I've been part of that. And I want to be a little more clear today about it. If you are a Jesus follower and you have felt what I have felt in my life, that something is missing, then this is your sermon today. Because I think I know what it is. And I want to start to hit it today. You can describe Christian any way you want, but Jesus' term disciple is terrifyingly clear. There is absolute clarity in this. And i got to say, I've been a Christian, as the world defines it, and as my community of faith people have defined it, since pretty much my entire life. I've been a Christian. In fact, some people say that becoming a Christian happens when you're baptized. Some people say it happens when you pray a prayer. Some people say it happens when um, somebody puts their hand on you and says something on behalf of God. Some people have all these different things. And the funny thing is, nobody really knows because Christian isn't even a thing in the Bible. And so when we talk about being a Christian, I can say I've been a Christian my whole life, or when I was baptized, or whatever time you want to say that was. But the truth is, I've been a, a disciple for a very, very small percentage of the time I've been a Christian. Does that make sense? And here's why. So Jesus is very clear about what a disciple is. And it, 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 it permeates all of these stories that we're about to tell. And, and all the stories that we've heard, it permeates. John chapter 13, verse 34. I'm going to tell you in a minute about John because one of the things we're really working hard to do around here is not just pull a piece of scripture out and read it without context. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the author here in a minute. But I want to tell you, he tells us a story about Jesus and about something Jesus said to the people that were following him, the people that he called his disciples. He says this, A new command I give you, love one another. Now you think you know how to love, and I think I know how to love, and we do. In fact, you don't have to be a Jesus follower. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be anything that's connected to God to love people. There's love all over in every religion, in unreligion, in pagan religion. There is love all over. You don't, this is not a new command. To love one another is not a new command. So when Jesus says, hey guys, I'm going to give you a new command. I want you to love one another. The guys are like, well, that ain't new. Well, obviously, we need to love each other, and everybody can do that. And that's not a problem. 
So here's, here's where my disconnect with preaching is. Often, I stand up and I speak so much about love. I speak so much about love and I speak so much about grace because, full disclosure, I just love grace. I love grace in my own life, obviously. But I, I love the feeling when somebody comes in completely broken and I get to say, it's okay, it's all right. I love that. I love to preach about it. I love to talk about it. I love to live that way. I love to treat my kids that way. But Jesus has a tension and the way he teaches and talks that I, in my personal life, have tried to, to relieve. And I've done it in my preaching, and I've done it in my life. It's a tension between what, what he calls truth and what he calls grace. And it's pretty amazing. So he, he says to the disciples, and this is where we're going today, love one another, but then he makes it harder terrifyingly hard because the disciples had followed Jesus and the truth is Jesus's kind of love is messy and weird and hard and we're going to talk about that this morning but he says as I have loved you he gets the disciples attention and I'm not talking about just love as I have loved as you have watched me love you and the people that we've done ministry with that's how you are supposed to love now now the disciples stop because the l- kind of love that Jesus has shown people, they're not sure they want to buy into completely. It's confusing, it's messy, it's hard. And then Jesus says this, By this, everyone will know that you are my Christians. A group of people who come to church on Sundays and put a Jesus fish on their car? No. You are my disciples. When you love, when you love people? Nope. When you love people the way I loved people. It is not general. It is not believe what you want to believe. It is not just love people and let God deal with the rest. There is a little bit of that in it. But Jesus is terrifyingly clear that there is a specific thing that makes you a disciple. And it sets you apart from the Christians. I believe firmly that Jesus wants to save Christians. I think there are lost Christians all over the planet right now, self-included. And when I say lost, I don't mean going to hell. I'm not, that's not even what I'm talking about. I mean Christians who have missed it, Christians who have missed the point and have completely blown the peace that passes all understanding, Christians who are sitting in the pew right now and when, when the preachers all over the country say peace that passes all understanding, there's something that makes them so mad because they've been hearing it since they were six. And they're tired of it because they don't have it. They've never seen it. They don't know what it means. They can point at it in somebody else, but they can't get it, and they think God's withholding it from them. And the truth is, it was there all along. And instead of being a disciple, we have settled for being a Christian. Just this general faith thing. Here's what your preacher is promising you this year, and I want you to hold me accountable. That every sermon from now until the end of the year, I might take a break in January because this is a struggle for me. Every sermon is going to give you an opportunity to become a disciple. Because it is what you need. It's what I need. Being Christian is not enough. Believing something is not what we're called to. That's not what brings us the peace. Just living in an orange pew on Sunday morning does not live Create the life in you that you're looking for. Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, it's messy. Here's the problem with loving like this. There is a tension with this kind of love. And you know what I mean by tension? 
It's that tension that you get at Christmas when your mother-in-law shows up and you only see her at Christmas. I mean, it really is that kind of tension. It's that thick thing you feel in the room where everybody gets uncomfortable for a minute. And the problem is, I, I'm the kind of person, I just want everybody to get along. I'm a party guy. I'm a happy guy. I'm a fun guy. I want to come to church, and if there is tension, I just want to go, let's resolve that as soon as humanly possible at all costs. Jesus didn't live that way. He did not. Now, he didn't cause tension just for the sake of causing tension, but Jesus was very comfortable with a certain kind of tension, and we're going to talk about it this morning. Uh, and it was messy. It was really messy. Like, you couldn't nail it down. You, I've been in, in so many big churches on staff, and, and they're not messy at all. They're, they're so clean, and I don't mean just the hallways and the building. I mean, like, you can look at their business structure and their model and all these programs and all these things, and it seems so clean. And I just want to look at it and go, man, Jesus, if, if you look at Jesus' ministry and his life, it just was messy. You couldn't nail it down. It was inconsistent. If you look at the stories of Jesus, really look at the stories, not the flannel graph versions, not the Disney versions, the real stories that Jesus is involved in, they're inconsistent. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. At one point, Jesus is hanging on a cross at the end of his life. You've heard this story. We say it's between two thieves, but the truth is, you had to do a whole lot more than be a thief to end up on a cross. This was the worst of the worst. This is a person, because if you were a thief, you, could, you would end up you know, working in the minefields. You would end up working somewhere else. You know? But this person was worse than a thief. And he was between Jesus. And he looks at Jesus, and he goes, Hey, Jesus, uh, we deserve to be here. And Jesus was like, Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you deserve to be here. And, and the thief goes, But, but I, I, I kind of believe in this. And Jesus goes, Well, I'll tell you what. Here's the thing. Yes, you deserve to be here. And today... You're going where I'm going. Today you'll be with me. You're going where I'm going. So which is it, Jesus? Does he deserve condemnation and crucifixion? Or does he get to go to heaven? Yes. So does he get grace from you or does he get truth? Yes. And in that moment, there is this tension. And you, you read this and you're like, wow, it's weird and it's crazy. But at the end, grace wins. But then if you read just a few chapters earlier than that, he runs into this rich guy where he's talking to him. And the guy says, what do I have to do to be a Christian? What do I have to do to be a disciple? What do I have to do to be in with you? Not just like believe, but be deeper. And Jesus goes, you have to sell all your stuff. And in that moment, you're like, yeah, this is where Jesus like hooks him in. The guy goes, well, I can't sell it myself. And Jesus goes, that's okay. You're in anyway, man. I love you. It's okay. You just work on the stuff. And Jesus goes, well, then you're out. Like, you want to keep reading. Hey, hey, wh where's the end of this? No, no, you're out. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. In one case, you give a guy who has a minute left on the clock. He's lived his life however he wants to. And in that case, you've said, yeah, dude, you're good. And in this case, you've told a guy who has come to you with his heart in his hand saying, what do I have to do? And you've said, you're out. If you won't do that, you're out. Doesn't that seem inconsistent to you? Let's say what this is. It's inconsistent. It's hard. It's unfair at times. It doesn't feel right at times. There's a, there's a tension. And it is just flat confusing. I, have, I think a lot about how my kids must think about me. Especially on Saturday, because Saturday we call it Dadder Day, and it's all day with Dad. You know, and I, I get to spend all day with them. I try to give Risha a little bit of a break. She spends all week with them. And I spend the evenings when I get home from work. But dadder days, it's like morning to night. I do donuts in the morning, and then we have fun, and we work, and we do all kinds of stuff together. And at the end of the day, I've done a lot of teaching, and I've done a lot of loving. And, a lot, and I, I lay down in bed last night, and I was thinking about this sermon, and I just thought, I wonder what my kids think about my love for them. 
I bet they think it is messy. Like, you never know what dad's going to say. Is he going to say, guys, it's 8 o'clock, and we go to bed at 8.30, so we're going to stop having fun right now. We're going to do teeth. We're going to do prayers. We're going to do all these things. Or is dad going to say, hey, you know what, guys? Let's just stay up tonight because you never know. Sometimes dad will, and sometimes dad won't. Isn't that weird to a 7-year-old? Now, why is it as a 7-year-old, he can look at his dad and go, sometimes dad lets London do things I could never get away with. And sometimes London goes, why do I have to clean up this stuff? And Reese gets to go play. It's not fair. It's messy. It's weird. And when we look at God, I think it's okay for us to go, this doesn't make sense. What is it? There is a tension. And your preacher has tried to relieve that tension too many times. Jesus was comfortable with the tension between truth and grace. I'm going to talk about it right now. Check this out. So John chapter 1, verse 4. This is where I want to tell you about a guy named John. John was a disciple of Jesus, not a Christian, not a person who was on the fringe, who came to church every now and then, lived however he wanted, and then claimed Jesus on Sundays. This is a guy who followed Jesus around, who lived like Jesus wanted him to live for the most part of his life. And a lot of the disciples that were around Jesus, they kind of went to different places. Some of them were martyred, some of them just kind of disappeared into antiquity, and some of them, like John, kind of made it. John was a survivor. So he gets to the end of his life, and people have tried to kill him, and he's gone through some boiling tar, he's gone through some torture, he's got through rocks hitting him and being stoned, and he's become an old man, and people start saying to John, you need to write the things down about Jesus. He's seen blood and tears and joy and miracles. You need to write this stuff down. So he does, and he sits down to write, and when he does, he talks about Jesus in such a cool way. He says, he calls Jesus the Word, and the very first, this is John chapter 1. You can just open up your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This guy starts to write. When he does, he says, Jesus was like a Word. And when he came, it's like he came to camp out with us. He came to live with us. And he, he kind of talks about it as though Jesus is a, a painter. He's an artist. And he's painted a picture and then decided to jump in the painting. <laughs> and when he gets in the painting, the people in the painting don't recognize him as the artist. And that's the way John talks, starts his, his story about Jesus. He says, the word became flesh. He jumped into the painting. And he made his dwelling, the, the real word there is he camped out with us. He made his dwelling among us. He says, we have seen his glory. Now when he talks about that, when he says we, he doesn't mean you. He doesn't mean we like the people that he's sitting with at that time. He means we the disciples, those people that were right around Jesus. We saw him. We know him. We saw him as God. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And look at this. Full, and this is, this is just a few words in English, but in, his, in the language he wrote this in, this was just a huge thought. He was full to the brim of grace and truth. Now, which one was it? Is he full of grace or full of truth? Yes. You know the difference between grace and truth. Grace is the, the way I look at the Bible when I've done something wrong. I want to find something that's grace. And truth is when you've done something to mess me up and I want to find something to point at. That's the way we do grace and truth. And sometimes when you get to my age and you've messed up so many times and you've sinned and then you've got to get up on Sunday morning and preach to people who are looking at you like you know what you're talking about, 
and you just love grace because you need it all the time. And then your kids grow up and they mess up and you love the feeling of grace. I love grace and I lean towards grace all the time in my life. And Jesus was here. And what, what John says is being with Jesus was like he, he, he had grace 100%. Which means he could look at somebody and say, you're forgiven. You're okay. You're all right. And you go, yes, that's my Jesus. That's the one I'm after. Hang on. He also, with a very tense atmosphere, was 100% truth. You know what truth is? Truth is, you are held accountable. Your sin matters. Your, your messed up decisions cause consequences. Okay, so wait a minute. Those are opposites, right? I don't know if they're opposites. Yeah, but they're so different. How can they end up in the same thing? And can't you be 50% of one and 50% of No, no, no. Jesus was 100% of both. When he came in contact with somebody, it was 100% truth and 100% grace because real love, and wake up for a second if I put you to sleep, real love from your preacher, real love from your dad, from your mom, from your friend, from your creator will have grace, but cannot bear to see you keep living the way you're living in the sin, in the messed upness, in the world around you, and still trying to get the things that God has promised. He says, out of his fullness, out of his fullness, this full thing, I was going to bring a pitcher up here today and fill it full of both grace and, and truth, but the truth, in, in reality, I would spill it all over the place. I'm terrible with those things. But imagine this thing up here with full of grace and, and truth, and he says, out of his fullness, we have received grace. And the word here, we've received grace in place of grace already given. And it's like, he, God gave us grace, and then we used it all up, so he gave us some more. And then we used it all up, so he gave us some more. We've been given grace over grace over grace over grace. Don't forget that you get grace, and don't forget that he loves you, and don't forget that you're okay. But he is 100% about truth as well. For the law was given through Moses. And, and the, his words here are so important. John said, the law was given to us through Moses. You know the law, the Ten Commandments. These things that we were given in order to live our life. And he doesn't just mean the Ten Commandments. He means those things by which God has said, this is the way you need to live your life to get to peace and to hope and joy and the things that you're looking for. And he said, and then grace and truth was born. It says came through, but the word there in Greek is he was born Grace and truth was born in Jesus. It became in Jesus. Okay, here's what I mean by that. I promise I'm going to explain it the way Jesus did. John decides, that is confusing. How can Jesus be both grace and truth at the same time? And he says, so let me tell you some stories. And so John tells some stories. And he tells this story about a woman um, and she is, you, you need to know the history here. Women were thought of as nothing. They were thought of not as nothing because they were useful. Um, they were thought of as, in, in some cases, they're even written about like barn animals. Useful. You feed them, you water them, and they do something. And Jesus hated it. He couldn't take it. It was one of those things he just would not stand for. So every moment Jesus could, could 
go speak to a woman and shock all the men around him and talk differently and think differently about them and speak differently about women. He took that advantage. So he went into this community, and he's tired. I always love when the Bible talks about Jesus being tired. It reminds me that he was just like me. He was tired, and he goes up to this well. And at this point in history, if you're tired, you don't stop at Speedway and, and get a Polar Pop. Sounds good right now, doesn't it? You don't, you don't stop and get, get, a, get one of those pops full. Oh, man, it sounds really good. I could quit talking about that. Um, but you don't, when you're thirsty, you don't do that. You've got to go into a town, and you've got to stop. You've got to put your horse or your donkey, or if you're walking, you've got, you got to walk up to the center of the town where there's a well. And people gather. It's the old water cooler, you know. You've heard the, of the watering hole. It's the place where people gather to get their water. And a lot of times, at this point in history, if you wanted water in your house, you had to take a bucket down to the well that's at the center of the town. You had to take your bucket and get the water out and take it into your house and use it in your house. Well, as you can imagine, the men in this community were often lazy. Um, good thing we've grown out of that as humans. But the men were lazy. And almost always, almost always, the women went and got the water. Hey, go down and get me a bottle of water. Go down and get me a, go down and pop the top on the well and get a, and they bring him up, sit in a recliner so he'd get his water. And she, when Jesus went to the well, he went to get some water. Now he wouldn't have had anything to dip into the water because you needed a bucket, you needed something, he wouldn't have had anything to dip. So that was, he was always going to have to talk to somebody to get a glass to get something from the well. So he walks up and there's a woman standing at the well. Now if you were Jesus at this point and you were a man, you don't, talk to women the way Jesus talked to this woman. You tell them what to do. You don't ask them questions. You don't care about them as a human. It, it was an incredible time in history. And Jesus saw, even in his exhaustion, an opportunity. So he walks up to this woman, and John tells this story. It stands out to John for lots of reasons. He, he, he walks up to this woman, and he starts a conversation with her. And she's shocked. Like, who is this man? And why is he talking to me like I'm not a donkey? <laughs> why is he talking to me like I'm not property? Because people don't talk to me like that. And Jesus starts to talk to her. And he starts to ask her questions. And she answers them freely. And he looks down at one point, And he sees something in her. This is the way Jesus always deals with people. So right now, if, if, if this is a great place for you to be. If you want a different kind of peace in your life, a piece that stands outside of whatever job you got and the widgets you're making. This is a great way to live your life. Every person Jesus came in contact with, he saw as an opportunity that they would leave better. That they could leave differently. They could, in, after that conversation, they would be, have a new sense of freedom, a new sense of God, a new sense of understanding. And it was sometimes really subtle. This week I went down to the bakehouse on the east side with a good friend of mine who's a business leader in town. One of those guys that if I said his name right now, most of you would know him. Really popular, incredible guy. Happens to be the strongest, one of the strongest disciples of Jesus I've ever known. And he meets with me every now and then. We were at the, the bakehouse. And I often go thinking, how can I impress him today? Like, what can I say today? What can I say to make him feel like I'm good, like I'm cool? I, I'm, not, I'm not proud of that, but if I'm honest, that's true. And we sat down at the bakehouse. And I sat with him and I thought, I'd like to tell him this, I'd like to tell him this, I'd like to tell him this. How am I going to weave that in organically to this conversation? Have you ever had that? You run into somebody from high school who you haven't seen for 15 years and you just want them to know you got a new car and you're hoping they see it in the parking lot. So you bleep, bleep, bleep. Yeah, that one's mine. Yeah, it's locked. It's locked. You know, you, it's those kinds of moments. So I sat down with him 
And the first thing he did was ask me a question that allowed me to, to say exactly what I wanted to say to him. That allowed me to kind of puff myself up and feel better about myself. And I thought, boy, did I luck out. And we got through that. And he was like, John, I'm so proud of you. You're, you guys are just, you're such an amazing person. And I just, you're doing so well. And I thought, man, I am. And then the next question he asked, checked the second thing off my list. And by the time we got to the third time, I realized Ron knows me well enough that he has been praying for me. He knows who I am. He's been looking at my Facebook stuff, and he has asked the question on the way to work, on the way to meet me, not what can John think of me today, but what can I do to let John talk about himself, to let John feel better about himself. And for an hour and a half, he had a conversation with me that wasn't about him. It wasn't about even really me in the long run. It was about how I can move my family forward, how I can move my church forward. I started telling him about this sermon, and instead of making me feel like an idiot for not preaching truth and just preaching grace all the time, he started making me realize this is what God wanted from me, and you need a layer of grace before people can understand truth. And I'm walking away feeling like I I can do work, I can go mow the yard, I I don't ever need to sleep again. I have so much energy. And I, I'm reeling from my conversation with him. Five hours later, I am still reeling from my conversation with Ron. And I sent him a text message, and I said, dude, I said some of that stuff. And I said, what was that? How can I live like that? And he said, if you can figure out how to make that a habit, which is how I realized it really was intentional. If you can figure out how to live like that, you won't have to pray for peace again in your life. That's just, that's not my advice. That's the guy who's doing it. And I decided I'm going to work on that. So I'm going to drive to church on Sunday morning. And when I see somebody who wants to tell me that story, and I know they were going to tell me that story, and I'm going to have to say, great job. And, and, I, I, and they want to tell me how good they are. They got this or they got that. Or, or at work it happens all the time. They're going to tell me how great they were last night and how they, you know, whatever. Instead of going, how can I get out of that? Or what kind of silly thing can I say to make them feel stupid? I'm just going to flat out ask them hey, did you get a new car? Hey, did you? And then, man, congratulations. You must have worked really hard for that. And change my peace. So I'm off on a tangent here, but this is how Jesus lived his life. And when it came to peace in his life, it wasn't about his work every day. It wasn't about carpentry for Jesus. It wasn't when he went to bed at night. It wasn't, well, did I do anything useful today? Well, I made a table and chairs for that lovely lady down the street. It wasn't that. It was, I got to be a part of the creator giving new energy into humans today. And this is the way Jesus lived his life. This is where he got his peace. If you're looking for peace, start looking there. Jesus looks at this woman, and instead of seeing an opportunity to get a a drink of water, he sees an opportunity to give living water. So Jesus looks down at her. He does this all the time. Whatever there is around, he'll use it to make an illustration. She's holding a big pail of water. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. My guess is he's real thirsty, so he's taking a drink of the water. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. You know what thirsty means? That deep hole in the deepest part of who you are. That no matter what you do religiously, no matter how many times you go to church, no matter how many books you read, no matter how many times you read the Bible, no matter how many many times you journal, no matter how many sermons you listen to, there is a hole. And Jesus says, that's me. He looks at this woman and he says, I'm going to tell you something I haven't told anybody. She's like, wait a minute, I'm a woman. 
What are you doing? I'm going to tell you something. You are eyeball to eyeball with the Messiah, the Savior. You are eyeball to eyeball with the one who can fill the needs in your life. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and have to keep coming here to draw water. And Jesus pauses here. And as a preacher, I love to end the sermon there. In fact, you have probably heard me end this sermon right here. So Jesus wants to give you living water. He wants to give, forgive all the sins. You maybe even heard me say that she had been married five times, may have been a prostitute, maybe used her body in sex for a living. She was terrible with men. She was just a very sinful person. And Jesus forgave her and he says, I'm going to give you living water and I quit reading right there. But that is just grace. And Jesus loves her too much to leave her thinking that she can have living water and then go home to live the same life she's always lived. So he says, and only the way Jesus did, I picture it because I watch a lot of movies, I picture him taking another scoop of water, sitting back on the well, and he says, "Um, why don't you go call your husband and come back? Now, this would have been the first time that Jesus said something to her that sounded chauvinist. Because that's what you did. When you found an interesting woman or something she might need, you'd say, hey, go get your husband. Let's have a real conversation. And that's kind of the air. Jesus says, hey, why don't, you, uh, why don't you go get your husband? She's like, well, there it is. Why don't you go get your husband and come back? Jesus knew something about her. She said, I have no husband. And you can see her head just drop. And as a preacher, as a Bible student, as a guy who loves grace, I just want to say, what are you doing, Jesus? You had her. You had her with grace. You had her feeling so good. She was feeling so happy. She was feeling like she had hope. You had her so hopeful. And now you've gone into the deepest, darkest part of her life. The most messed up thing in her life. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus said, Yeah, you're right. You're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you've had five. You've had five different husbands, and the guy you're living with now isn't even your husband. She's like, whoa, dude, I thought we were all grace here. I thought you were all, I'll give you living water. I thought this was all happy, happy, go. And he says, what you have said is quite true. And he leaves this woman with grace and truth. Because you see, full of grace isn't enough. Full of truth sometimes is the missing part of who you are. It's the missing part of who God wants you to be. And it's the missing thing in your life that gets you from that hole in your heart. Still a Christian, still sitting in an orange pew every Sunday, missing half of what God has called you to. The thing about Jesus is every time he called sin, sin. Now, not, not far from here, John tells another story. He's still trying to get us to understand grace and truth at the same time. And by the way, we're all still trying to figure that out because it's hard, it's complicated, it's messy, and that's the point. He tells another quick story. He doesn't tell it quickly, but I have to. He tells a quick story um, where, where he just says, hey, um, you know, that the, the, these people, um, I totally lost my train of thought. I've got to go back to my notes. Sorry. 
John completely wants to, to let us know in this, in, in this section of Scripture that Jesus is full of both truth and grace. And, and the story of the, uh, the, um, the rich young ruler, and the story of the rich young ruler, he, Jesus, this, this man comes to him, and he just wants it both ways. He wants to keep all of his stuff. He wants to keep living with one foot in the world and follow Jesus at the same time. And Jesus says, it doesn't work that way. Now, the way I believe about God is that he says all, he, he wants all men to come to him. He wants all people to come to know him. And I believe that at some point, that was the seed that Jesus needed to plant in that man. And maybe somewhere down the road, somebody else got to water it. And somewhere else, it got grown. But every time, Jesus uses both grace and truth at the same time. Jesus calls sin, sin, and then he paid for it. He called sin, sin, and then he just flat paid for it. And so when he paid for it, it was so expensive for him. It was so painful. It was so hard that he wasn't going to let you live in it. He wasn't going to let you waller in a life full of messed upness. Just because there's a tension in the room that you might feel a little condemned at the time, that you might feel a little bit judged by him, that you might have a moment where you feel like, oh, you mean I can't live any way I want to live and still get the peace that it passes on understanding? Jesus wants to let you know there is a gotcha involved with sin, and he's not going to let it get you. He is not going to be the one in love with you, the one who loves you desperately and lets you live, continue living the way you want to live, that sinful life, and miss out on the full-blown wonderfulness of being a disciple. Jesus' love is different than ours. It just is. But we've got to get better. So over the next few months, I'm going to get better at this. And here's what I'd like to do. You, many of you have done this. Actually, I would say if you are breathing, if you can fog a mirror today, you have done this at some point in your life, where you have looked at your life and you've said, I don't like who I am in that way. The doctor says I need to lose 25 pounds or I'm going to die 20 years early. And your wife has said, dude, I love you too much. The cookie's got to go. Hostess is banned from the house. And, and you look at your life and you go, because I realize the gravity of this, because I realize how this is impacting my actual life, I'm going to make gradual changes to become a different kind of a human. The problem is when it comes to preaching grace, when it comes to being a church like we are at New Life, where we put it on everything we have, you are welcome here just the way you are, and that has not changed. But the problem is, if we're not careful, we become uncomfortable with the tension that comes with saying, you come as you are, but please don't stay that way. And if you stay that way, you're going to get uncomfortable. <laughs> and, and the problem is, I'll just be real honest, this is just for our New Life people for a second, so if you're, if you're visiting or you're listening online, don't take this too harshly, because this is just for our new life people. We're doing grace really well around here. And I'm proud of that. But truth is a problem. Some of us have come to Jesus, and we're going to die with the same thing we came to him with. The same sin, the same little closet thing with sex, the same little problem with pornography, 
the same marriage issues, the same issues with the way you treat your wife or the way you treat your husband, the same problems with money where you spend it all, you don't give any to God, you don't care about God, you pretend you do and then you just say, hey, it's all grace, right? The truth is I, I love you too much for that. And, and what we need to be as a church is full of grace and truth. It's uncomfortable, it's messy, it's unfair at times. It's who God called us to be. And here's what I know. This is why I'm preaching this sermon. And this is why I feel like God has, has, has led me to this over the last few weeks. And it is this. You are at your best as a human. And what I mean by that is peace and hope and joy. You're at your best when you're unselfish. You're at your best when you're living your life, not just for you. You're at your best when you're embracing the tension that comes with being full of both grace and truth. It's messy, it's difficult, and we dare not let go of either of them. I've let go as a preacher. I've let go of truth. One, because I hate judgment. I hate pointing my fingers. I err on the side of grace every time. And I've worn that as a badge. And I think it's a great place to start. But as a church, as a disciple, and as a human, we have to fix the things that are broken in us as humans. We have to move towards what God intends for us. We need truth in our lives. Some of you grew up in your house one way or the other with either truth or grace. You grew up with either a mom who just let you did whatever you want, just do whatever you want, just be home by midnight, and don't tell me what happened. Or you grew up with a dad who was Mr. Truth, and there was no grace whatsoever. The best homes, the homes where love is most clear, 100% truth and 100% grace. It's what God wants for you as a parent. It's what God wants for you as a church member of this place. It's what God wants for you as a disciple of Jesus. Some of you have a decision to make. Band, you guys can come up. You know, we say it all the time. Preachers say this all the time. It's decision time. You know, we sing songs about making decisions. We sing, But here's the thing. Some of you have a different kind of decision. It's not a decision as to whether or not you want to be a Christian. It's a decision as to whether or not you want to be a disciple. And honestly, your preacher is trying to make this decision right now. This is hard. Do, do I want to give up the things that as a 40-year-old man have just become a part of my life? Things that I can go and ask forgiveness for? The little things, the little, the little sins that have become comfortable for me? And then just claim grace. And then wonder where the peace is. Or do I, do I want to become a disciple? I'm going to ask you today. How are you leaning? What's interesting when it comes to truth and grace is that most of us lean in grace when we've done something wrong and lean towards truth when somebody has messed us up. Which way are you leaning? Maybe in your own life you're going, you know what, that doesn't matter because Jesus loves me no matter what. But maybe you're also saying, that person over there and that person over there and truth, 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 truth. Are you leaning? Are you trying to resolve the tension 
that Jesus was comfortable with. So you've got churches meeting all over Indiana right now. This breaks my heart. Actually, it got me out of church for a while. All the different churches that are meeting right now all over the world and all over the country. Most, there are, like, at one point I counted, there's like 95 churches within 10 miles of us or something. In a 10-mile radius. Most of them believe the same things we believe at its core. And yet some of us stand up and we say, truthity, truth, 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 truth. They're bad. They're awful. And everybody says, amen. Go get them. Go fix the government. Go change the laws. Truth, truth, truth. And then we got other churches who come over here and go, love, man. Grace, man. That's your preacher. What God is saying is, you know what? You guys, if you guys could come together to say it's 100% of both, that is what changed the world the first time. It's what's going to change the world again. So I'm going to ask you today, maybe I've missed the boat, maybe I've completely missed the point, and maybe you're just going, well, that doesn't apply to me with whatsoever. Maybe I've confused you, and this sermon didn't make any sense. But this is between you and God right now. You want to live the way you're living? You want to be a, you want to be a Christian? You want to be a religious person? You want to be somebody who just goes through the motions? Or you want to be a disciple doing life bigger than you, full of grace, full of truth, Fully embracing the mess. I love Paragon so much. I love New Life so much. I love this place so much that I've become addicted to the mess. I took a Sunday off just recently, and it was so peaceful. It was so quiet. Nobody asked me to pray with them because somebody was beating them. Nobody asked me in the corner to pray with them, but what they really wanted was money to pay their electric bill. Nobody did that. Nobody begged me for food when I stopped at the gas station. It was really peaceful, and I hated it because I want to be in the middle of the mess. I want to be where I can be useful, full of grace and full of truth. This community is the place for me And it is a place for you if you want to see the creator of the universe do something amazing in the life of humans. But it only comes when we are full of grace and full of truth. And when that happens, the doors are going to blow off of this place. End of your life. I'm going to give you this chance right now. Sing this song with us and just ask God, what do I need to do to leave Christian and enter disciple? You stand with us?